The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks showing a bit of signs of life this morning as the Fed talks about tapering in November. The concern there, more bank earnings. Big banks in focus once again as real rate results this morning from some of the biggest names. The Biden administration announcing ambitious alternative energy plans with a big investment in offshore wind, cracking down on the leakers. The new steps reportedly being taken by Facebook following the fallout over revelations by a former employee. And our series on this country's lost workers and why there's been a mass exodus of women from the workforce. It is all happening today, Thursday, October 14th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you. Happy Thursday morning. Let us get right to it now. Here's how your money is shaping up on this Thursday. Stock futures, they are higher across the board. The Dow and the NASDAQ each up more than one half a percent. Look at the NASDAQ futures up 131 points. Dow up 200 as well. This after we were pretty much, I mean, almost exactly totally flat on the Dow on Wednesday. You don't see that a whole lot. Well, from economic data, today we get the latest producer price index. A lot of focus on inflation lately, as well as the weekly jobless claims data. Now, the banks, they are squarely in focus once again. You got earnings today from Bank of America, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, and U.S. Bank Corp. All out today. Goldman, Truist, and PNC tomorrow. Wow. All that after J.P. Morgan easily beat expectations yesterday in part because of better-than-expected loan loss and a little bit of release from its reserve, but we won't talk about that. All right, ahead of those results, let's get a check on Treasuries. The 10-year yield, despite some of the optimistic news around the economy lately, pushing back lower, it is at 1.54%. And we also have to talk about the story in the global markets, and that is, what else? Energy costs on the rise. Oil right now back above 81 per barrel here, 84 per barrel in Europe. And natural gas creeping closer to $6 as well at $5.72. All right, let's go now around the world in Asia, the Nikkei in Japan and the Kospi in South Korea. Wrapping up the day in a nice way. We saw the Nikkei rise 1.5% while Hang Seng and Shanghai ended pretty much, again, flat because Hong Kong was closed for a holiday. It's funny, when you're closed, you don't see a price movement. Amazing how that works out. Let's take now a look also at the early trade in the European markets, too. And we are seeing gains across the board. Germany, UK, France, all up about three quarters of 1%. As always, more in the markets and your money in moments. But right now to some of this morning's top stories, including the Biden administration making a big bet on alternative energy. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Brian. Brian, the White House is looking to aggressively expand the U.S.'s wind energy capacity. Under the administration's proposal, 
seven major offshore wind farms would be developed on both the Atlantic and Pacific, as well as the Gulf of Mexico. The move is part of the president's plan to generate enough electricity to power more than 10 million homes by 2030. Home foreclosures are starting to once again surge as programs created during the pandemic aim to help curb them begin to expire. According to the mortgage data firm Adam, lenders began the foreclosure process on more than 25,000 properties in the third quarter, up 32 percent from the second quarter and 67 percent from a year ago. States with the largest number of new foreclosures were California, Texas, Florida, New York and Illinois. And finance leaders from the G20 have signed off on that global deal to revamp corporate taxes. The leaders agreeing to that pact amid their meeting in Washington yesterday. The ministers also pledged to continue fiscal support for their own economies while also monitoring inflation due to continued global supply chain crunch issues. Brian, back to you. Yeah, we just saw Ireland give in, going yeah. from 12 and a half to that minimum 15% as well. Big moves there. We'll see how it moves markets, if at all. Savannah, see you in a few minutes. Sure, thank you. All right, let's get now back to the markets and the Fed's easy money policies, potentially starting to slow as soon as next month. Now, stocks largely shrugging that off. And why not? We all knew it was coming. And your next guest says the central bank has been telegraphing this move for so long it should come as a surprise to nobody. Josh Wan is a portfolio manager at Hennessy Funds, and he joins us now. Josh, I think it's the, the most telegraphed move in history, and that's kind of the reason. I mean, the Fed, to their credit, and I'll give them credit, did a good job of basically saying, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming every single day. Does it matter to you, or should it matter to our viewers or the markets, if it's in November, December, or January of next year? No, I agree. I mean, yeah, it's been well telegraphed. Good to be with you, Brian. I don't think we should be too concerned. I think that's getting way too into the weeds. I think November, December, January, I think I think the odds are that it's one of those three months. And certainly, you know, we can discuss which makes more, most sense. But, you know, I think the Fed ultimately wants to get back to a more normal, a more normal course of action. And, and certainly we've come a long way in the last year and it, it makes sense. I think everyone knew it was coming and, and everyone's on board with it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the concern is whether or not it hits the consumer. Do we see interest rates overall rise? We have had people on this program, Josh, who've made the case that rates, yeah, they might tick up to 2% or maybe even 2.5%. But with the debt load of the United States and with everything else that is going on, likely don't expect any kind of, quote, high interest rates for years or decades to come. Would you agree with that? A little bit. I mean, I definitely don't buy this idea that rates have to go higher and, and necessarily will. You know, about a month ago, the 10 year was at one three and then, you know, very quickly marched toward one six and beyond. And and we've seen a pullback. And I think that, you know, ultimately it would make sense that, you know, we have negative real yields and, and that's just not right. And the Fed is obviously behind that to a large degree. I think what we're seeing is, yeah, there is inflation, but a lot of what is inflationary is also bad for the economy and bad for growth. And and I kind of come out on this idea that, you know, and we can talk about this in a minute, but, you know, very bullish on the market, but the economy is a different matter. I I am a lot less so, you know, I think we're going to be in a growth environment. I think it's going to yeah. slow a lot. And I think the market, you know, we see the 10-year, you know, down a basis point or two this morning and about eight basis points over the last few days, you know, coming off the highs. I just think the economy... Yeah. 
you know, we're dealing with shortages and, and supply chain issues, and that is not inflationary to the extent that that is a, a supply side issue and has nothing to do with demand necessarily. Yeah. And we've said it before, and we will say it again just for the people in the back. The stock market is not the economy. They're often wildly two yeah. different things. Let's talk right. about individual picks. You like Semper Energy. You like the Southern Company. When I hear people recommend utilities and pipeline companies like these, I think these are defensive plays. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I would point out that there was a time when utilities, you know, and both of these holdings are part of our Tennessee Gas Utility Fund. And, and about a year and a half or two ago, you know, they traded at a premium to the multiple of the S&P. So, you know, yes, defensive, but I think that that, that always makes it seem like these are tools and not, you know, operating companies with earnings growth and, 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 yeah. and great management behind, you know, a strategy that's being executed every day. So, yeah, I think, you know, companies like Southern and, and Sempra exist in great geographies, you know, the Southeast in the case of Southern and out in the Western part of the country for Sempra, you know, diversified utilities, you know, strong yields, you know, twice that of the S&P. Uh, I think there's a great setup uh, in terms of, you know, not yeah. only some earnings growth and, you know, some growth in the economy that supports that, but also, uh, you know, utilities are up 5% this year. And so I feel like, you know, death taxes and reversion of the mean are, are what we can count on. Uh, and reversion of the mean in this case, I think, means that there is a great possibility that utilities make up for lost ground. Uh, I think they've pulled back on rate fears. As we were talking, I think, I think rates don't yeah. move a lot higher from here as we work through things. So I think it's a great setup. And we didn't have time to get to your other pick, which is BJ's Wholesale. I mean, you can't shake a BJ's. stick on this network without somebody recommending Costco. You like BJ's. We'll get you back yeah. on again soon. We gave the name. We'll get you back on to talk about why. Right. Josh Wine, got to move on. We appreciate getting up early for us, buddy. Right. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Thank you, Ryan. All right. We are just getting going on this busy Thursday. And when we come back, your morning's big money movers and a very good quarter for one semiconductor giant, even as the global chip crunch continues. Plus, as Europe grapples with that intensifying energy crisis, the CEO of one renewable energy firm is here to explain how his company wants to change the game forever. And your morning RBI is all about prices. As we bring back our wall of inflation, see if anything has changed since April. Here's a clue they have, but maybe not in a good way. Futures, they're looking good, they're higher. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. And time now for your big money movers. The three key stock stories of the morning. Stock number one, 
Taiwan Semiconductor, the world's biggest contract chip maker, reporting third quarter profit on its strong demand for chips used in, well, pretty much everything. Sales up 16%, topping forecasts with nearly two-thirds of sales coming from customers right here in North America. The stock, though, not moving too much, up a couple of tenths. All right, stock number two is John Deere. Thousands of its workers have gone on strike. This just days after rejecting a new six-year deal with the tractor maker. Last walkout, by the way, at Deere in the USA was 1986, when workers struck for 163 days. Stock, again, not moving a whole lot, down three-tenths. And stock number three, well, it's not a stock at all. It's an ETF. And it's been a good week for TAN. Check out the Invesco Solar ETF, the ticker, T-A-N. It's up 12% already this week, putting it on pace for its best week in nearly a year. Maybe high energy, natural gas, and oil costs, sending people back to thinking about solar. Nice move there. All right, we've got a long way to go. Still on deck. The Super Bowl halftime show, it's up for grabs. You've also got disoriented self-driving autos and one ketchup maker getting into the Halloween spirit. We'll get a look at this morning's top trending stories as we come back right after this. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Let's get more now on the growing energy crisis in Europe, with prices for natural gas and even coal both spiking in the last week. Industry insiders around the world and on this very show pointing the fingers at the region's push toward renewables too quickly away from fossil fuels. What we've seen in Europe has been a transformation of their grid to prioritize the green aspects of, of their grid. And they've added probably you know, more renewables in, in Europe than any other place in the world. What you're left with is a grid that is not as reliable as it should be. Well, what worries me a lot about the alternative energy isn't Well, what worries me a lot about the alternative energy isn't the generation, it's the technology of storage. This is Europe's problem right now. They haven't been able to store enough energy to take them through this uh, gap in supply, which they're going through now. So certainly the one of the concerns around renewables is the ability to store the power once it is created by solar or wind or other aspects. And there are companies, though, working very hard to solve that problem. One of them is called Freyer Battery. They just signed a 50-50 joint venture to evaluate the construction of a giant battery gigafactory. And Tom Jensen is the CEO of Freyer, and he joins us now. Uh, Tom, welcome. Um, We know renewables are the future. I think the question right now in Europe is, has the move been too fast, too quickly, and they weren't ready? What do you have to say on the macro energy policy of Europe right now? Good morning, Brian. Well, I think it's fundamentally important to speed up uh, the investments into renewable energy and the storage to complement it, as to your point. Uh, The world is going to go electric. It has to go electric. That electricity has to be renewable. And for that to be renewable uh, with increasing volumes of solar and wind, you need large volumes of uh, batteries or storage to complement it, as per previous comments. This translates, of course, into massive investment requirements into battery storage, 
And the report out by IEA yesterday clearly shows that a very large fraction of the investments going into renewable energy will have to go into storage and batteries. So to your point, have we underestimated the need uh, to sort of speed up this? I think so. Meeting the climate agreement in Paris will require uh, a step change in how we invest in renewables and a step change in, in how we invest in batteries. And Freyed aims to be at the forefront of that development. We aim to de- develop the world's most sustainable batteries, decarbonized in, at its core, and targeting all uh, su- systems that require storage in some way, shape, or form. That's EVs, that's other mobility aspirations, and it is energy system storage. The U.S. Yeah. is at the forefront of this development. I think there are a couple concerns around the battery technology, Tom, or at least there have been. One is that eventually they fade off and you've got to rebuy them, and that's expensive. The other is, of course, that they are also made from basically natural resources like lithium, which you dig out of the ground. Let's address the first first. How good is your battery storage technology right now? How long can some of these batteries last? So we have made the conscious choice of selecting a U.S.-based technology, 24M out of Boston. So that's a 10-year-old development company that have developed a revolutionized new design in, in how to produce batteries. So we can offer batteries today that can last for more than 20 years. Uh, and that's just the start. Uh, I fundamentally believe that it's possible to further drive uh, performance of these batteries, both in terms of energy uh, intensity and density, as well as storage duration. As to your second point on recycling, I 100% agree to that notion, and that's why that's a core part of any battery developer strategy today. Over time, we do believe that a very large fraction of the raw materials being used in a steady-state battery environment uh, will most likely come from recycled materials. But until we get to that point, a lot of new materials need to go into the space, and we need to do that in a sustainable manner as well. But there is enough material out there to do it. Yeah. You need to get on with it. Yeah. Do you, do you have a stable, safe, secure, and relatively fairly priced supply of lithium and other minerals? So we have secured uh, a stable supply of the initial volumes we need for our initial facilities in Norway. We're working very hard to complement that with additional supply moving forward. Uh, and I don't see any real bottlenecks on the horizon. There probably will be temporary issues for certain developers, but there is very strong interest in participating in the decarbonized solutions that we are offering. So, so far, so good. Tom Jensen, you guys trying to solve a problem that the world needs right now, especially with given all that we are seeing with what is happening in Europe. Thankfully, they're in Mo Iran and Norway you guys seem to be a little bit protected. Look forward to maybe getting there and visiting someday. I want to see the Helgeland Mountains, Tom. I heard they are very beautiful this time of year. They are extremely beautiful. You're more than welcome to, to come. We're also developing batteries in Finland and now in the United States, as you pointed out. And we think we need to develop batteries all across the, the planet. And hopefully we can be an inspiration for many. Fantastic. Tom, we appreciate you coming on, talking about a, a big new investment and a big new technology, certainly one that the world is looking forward to. Tom, appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, Brian. Thanks. All right. Thank you. All right. Right now, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines, including an update on the investigation into the January 6th insurrection. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now with that 
and more. Good morning, Francis. Brian, good morning to you. The House panel investigation investigating the January 6th insurrection is digging deeper into a key figure in the case. The committee issued a subpoena yesterday to former acting assistant attorney general Jeffrey Clark. According to a nearly 400-page report released by the Senate Judiciary Committee last week, the former Justice Department official was involved in former President Trump's bid to overturn the 2020 election. It also found Clark was in contact with Mr. Trump in the days leading up to the Capitol attack and helped amplify lies about voter fraud. The subpoena came as the Biden White House rejected a request from the former president to block lawmakers from seeing documents related to January 6th. The FDA will begin deciding today whether to authorize COVID-19 boosters from Moderna and Johnson & Johnson. The agency's advisory committee will debate the safety and need for the extra doses. The final go-ahead is not expected for at least another week. This is a new study found that mixing and matching COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective. The research from the National Institute of Health will be presented Friday to the FDA's advisory committee. Now you can get paid to binge watch The Simpsons. A UK casino site is looking for a Simpsons analyst to watch every episode ever made, plus the movie. It is the longest running animated series with more than 700 episodes. The company says The Simpsons predicted things like Donald Trump's presidency and coronavirus, and they want to know what's in store now for 2022. One person will get paid $6,800 plus a weekly box of donuts. Brian, for some people, they're just going to do it anyway. I mean, it's their thing, so might as well get paid for it if, if you want. What's the hook? Uh, what do they look at? See how long someone can stay awake or something? I mean, what's to the To predict what's the, the future. There's always a catch. Yeah. Yeah, sit and watch The Simpsons. Okay, we'll find out what the catch is. Me fail English? That's impossible. <laughs> Francis, thank you. I bent my Wookiee. All right, now from batteries to electric cars, shocking some folks on the streets of San Francisco. Here with that and more of this top's trending stories is Savannah. Now, Savannah, what do you got for us this Thursday morning? What's trending? Brian, so there's an influx of confused self-driving Waymo cars. These have been crowding into dead-end street in San Francisco lately. Residents tell a local station that up to 50 lost cars can come into the cul-de-sac per day, leading drivers to have to manually turn the car around and disrupting other riders' routes. It's still unclear as to why these Waymo cars are getting confused in this specific area, but residents say it has been happening for roughly the last two months. If you're in the market for a sponsorship deal, the NFL will soon have an opportunity. The league is taking the rights to its Super Bowl halftime show to market, with the current deal with Pepsi set to expire next year. Pepsi obtained the rights back in 2012 for $2 billion. And Heinz is leaning into its role as fake blood this Halloween season. The condiment company is offering new tomato blood ketchup. The company is also selling costumes to go along with a tomato blood, like mummy and corpse bride outfits. And let's get a check on the top trending tickers on CNBC.com right now. The 10-year Treasury, AMC, Apple, Tesla, and Alibaba. Brian? Brian, I think I have a costume. I think I, think I like this uh, ketchup situation. Anything but the squid game. I mean, apparently <laughs> everybody gonna, in the world is going to be wearing this, this. I mean, like, sold out everywhere. It's just going to be a bunch of squid game people walking around. I'll do the, I'll do the ketchup one. Let's, let's do that. I think your ketchup co- co- costume would definitely cut the mustard. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't want to be a hot dog about it. Don't show off. 
All right? Those All are right. dad jokes, and they're not good. <laughs> Silvana, thank they you very much. <laughs> See you later, Brian. Uh, well, it's not hard at this hour, but we appreciate it, Silvana. It makes the mornings a little bit better. Thank you. All right, still on deck, the next wave of big bank earnings. I know you can't wait. Out in just hours, we're going to dive into what to watch when all the numbers cross. I mean, there are so many numbers. We'll maybe also get some under-the-radar picks for you. Anton Schutz is here with some of these financials. They have been soaring. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. It is available on all the major podcasting apps. And we are back in a moment. Gearing up for the big bank earnings. What will they say about the health of the American consumer? And which ones should you be buying right now? Anton Schutz is here. Facebook closing ranks, reportedly desperate, trying to lock down leaks to the media as it continues to deal with the fallout over revelations of former employees. And your morning RBI, bringing back our wall of inflation. What has changed and what hasn't since April You'll be shocked to see, and you will only see it right here on Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back, and good Thursday morning, everybody. It's 531. Welcome. Appreciate you seeing us. All right. Futures, they are nicely higher right now. In fact, up across the board, S&P, Dow, NASDAQ, they are all higher. In fact, we are seeing gains of 131 for the NASDAQ, the Dow, up 208. As always, more in the macro, mar- mo- macro markets in a moment, he said as he picked peppers in the patch. But right now, let's get you caught up on a bonus for some individual stock ideas. Because if you remember our RBI from all the way back on Tuesday, it was on food and fertilizer prices and how soaring natural gas will impact those markets. Well, we mentioned that it could be good news for U.S. and Canadian fertilizer companies like CF Industries and Mosaic because they could have a huge pricing advantage over their European competitors who have got to pay a lot more for nat gas. What appears that the smart folks at J.P. Morgan agree. In a note Wednesday, they talk about the European energy crunch and who may benefit. Their analysts named a few stocks, and they recommend, you guessed it, CF Industries, along with chemical company Kimors and Nutrien, in part because of what we talked about, the pricing differentials between North America and Europe. So some new names for you that we mentioned earlier on in the week. That wasn't all, by the way. The JPM folks also went on to talk about Marathon Oil, Petrobras, and Gazprom as likely winners on the oil and gas side. So mark those names down. JP Morgan coming out and recommending those six stocks and a couple of others in Europe yesterday. All right, now to this morning's top stories, including the latest on the fallout over Facebook's latest scandal, on whether it really cares about kids' mental health, how it targets our emotions for profit. And its answer is to apparently keep employees from talking to the media. Savannah Hanau is back with the details. Savannah. Brian, so Facebook is reportedly taking steps to try and reduce internal leaks of comp- company documents. According to the New York Times, the company is making some of its internal online discussion groups private instead of public, including groups focused on platform safety and protecting information, protecting elections. According, the move comes after Francis Haugen disclosed documents showing Facebook was aware of the dangers of its products, but downplayed these effects publicly. 
Speaking of social media, Apple CEO Tim Cook is calling for companies like his to not be lumped in with those types of firms. Speaking at the Silicon Slope Summit in Utah, Cook weighed in on the growing calls for big tech for regulating big tech, stressing a one size fits all approach won't work. The industry isn't monolithic. There are very different segments and very different markets. Uh, you know, we're not in the social media business, as an example. Um, and, and so I think you have to kind of take each one and make sure whatever regulation comes addresses whatever issue that you, that you think exists and not, not write regulation that is so sweeping that it not only gets the target but gets everybody else in the, at the same time. And the Senate's top Democrat in charge of bank oversight is calling on Fed Chairman Jay Powell to halt any financial deregulation. Senator Sherrod Brown calling on Powell to stop any rule rollbacks until President Biden nominates new members to the central bank. The call comes as Fed Vice Chair for Supervision Randall Quarles' time as the central bank's top bank regulator ends Wednesday, while Powell and Vice Chair Richard Clarida's terms end next year. Brian? Savannah Hanau, Savannah, thank you very much. Sure thing, Brian. All right, well, it is a big day for bank earnings. Check this out. You've got Bank of America, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo all reporting their numbers. This after J.P. Morgan reported better than expected profits yesterday. Revenues rose, loan losses came down, and they released some of their reserves. Now, it's not just the big boys. Many smaller banks have been rocking this year, with the median return of a bank stock a gain of 33%. For more on all this, bring in Anton Schutz. He is president and CIO of Menden Capital Advisors. Anton, welcome back. I know you tend to focus on the smaller and mid-sized banks, but of the, of the gigantic, massive banks that we just mentioned, is there one that you either like or are watching more closely than the others? Sure. I mean, obviously you like J.P. Morgan, but it's pretty close to fully priced. I mean, it was a great quarter. Um, they put up fantastic numbers and everything just clicked. And that always sets a high hurdle for all the rest of the banks that come through. We own Wells Fargo. It's a self-help story. And they needed some help. Uh, they've got to get through all the regulatory issues. They've got plenty of capital. They need to be able to grow. And once they're able to grow, their earnings will, will uh, you know, move a lot to the upside. And I think what's really important in this banking space today is how much capital the banks have and how much of the asset side of the balance sheet is in really short-term investments that's yielding almost nothing. So the ability for the banking space to make a lot more money isn't just predicated on a steep yield curve. It's predicated on being able to deploy all of that cash, all those short-term securities into loans. And uh, I believe loan demand is going to pick up substantially as we go forward, as America sort of works off all this cash from all the stimulus that it received um, you know, from the federal government. And, and there's still a lot of cash on everybody's balance sheet, on corporations' balance sheets, on individuals' balance sheets. All those programs are very successful for helping the economy, but it's also fuel for the economy to roar forward. We need to get people back to work, and that will be really important because manufacturing wants to hire people. They want to put out new lines. They want to re-domesticate mm-hmm. different products. It's very important to the growth of this country. But if you can't hire people, you can't open new lines. And that's really important. Let's get people back to work. 
Yeah, you know, and outside of the big money center banks that, you know, Goldman, they're basically a trading firm with sort of a bank inside of it as well. JPM, Morgan Stanley, kind of the same way. Then there are just bank banks, the ones that we see on our corners. Their business is not complicated. They take deposits, they make loans, and they try to make money on the difference and hope that everybody pays back those loans. Many of those companies, the ones that you own, Anton, have had spectacular years. I don't know if you own these. I'm just going to throw out some names. Western Alliance Bank Corp, East West Bank Corp, Valley National Bank Corp, right? The ones that we see in our hometowns. Some of these stocks are up 70 and 80% in 2021. How much more do some of these smaller names have left in the tank, so to speak? Well, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, earnings estimates, I think, are still too low if loan growth returns. I believe it will return. I continue to like to hunt in places that have above trend growth. Uh, so places like Tennessee, places like Texas, in Tennessee, First Bank, FBK, and Texas, Veritex, VBTX. They're both going to have very good growth this quarter in loans. And, and that's really critical to be able to deploy that. And yes, the returns have been spectacular this year. Uh, but what's important is how badly these stocks performed for multiple years. And obviously, particularly, uh, they performed very poorly in, in 2019 uh, and, and uh, through all 2020, really. Um, and, and this is just a comeback. And now we're basically still at a big discount to the S&P at a discount where some of these banks historically traded. And I believe the earnings is gonna, are going to be far above trend and will grow faster than a lot of companies in the S&P as we move forward. Um, I believe this is the roaring 20s. I think the economy is going to be pretty strong for the next few years. There's so much fuel here. So as we replace the cash, eventually debt will return and the debt will be loans in the forms on the bank balance sheets that will allow those banks to grow earnings substantially. Now, if the Fed starts raising interest rates, okay, everybody plays that trade all the time. And when, when short-term rates rise, sure, a lot of these banks lend on a variable basis. And yes, earnings will go up from that. But to me, the real thesis here- Rates is have to rise. Growth. No, they don't. I mean- Yeah, ra- rates, help. Anton, have to rise for these banks. Well, is there a level at which they go up and it's going to harm them? I mean, is 2% good for them or bad for them? Two and a half percent if we get there. Let's look at, let's look at history. I mean, rates, rates haven't been here, right? I mean, they, they're, they're here over the last few years. They haven't been here. I mean, banks made piles of money when interest rates were, you know, five, 6%. So, um, you know, you really don't need to have rates go to 2%. I think if rates go to, go to one or one and a half percent, again, you'll see estimates go higher. So it's not just the loan growth that will help too. Uh, obviously a steeper yield curve helps. It's not as critical day to day. The market gets very mm-hmm. myopic and trades these things day to day. But the reality is, is, you know, this is over time. A bank's balance sheet doesn't run off or get replaced on a daily basis. The market tries to trade that way and say, okay, the 10-year yep. you know, yield is 154. That's where it is. Well, okay, it's, it's, it's here today. Uh, and it's really where the expectations are. I certainly see inflation. Everybody sees inflation. Every bank executive sees inflation. And they're as close to it as, as they can get, right? Because they're lending to customers who have to pay for goods, yeah. have to pay salaries. Salaries are not transitory. They will not be for quite some time because you want to get those people back to work. You've got to pay them. Yeah. And that's just it's just reality. Yeah. Once you pay them and raise their wages, you do not lower their wages unless you want to lose them. We're watching Nashville, Tennessee based FBK, FP Financial. Anton, always appreciate you bringing the stock picks, some of the names we never hear about anywhere else, buddy. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. 
All right, you're welcome. All right, on deck. Maybe the most important story in America right now. Where are all the workers? We're going to continue our special series where the workers have all gone and the role that childcare will play in all of it. That is coming up next with Kate Rogers. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Well, the mass exit of women from the workforce amid the pandemic only growing worse. With Vice President Harris calling that exodus a, quote, national crisis. Now, one big factor in all of this is child care, or really a severe lack of it. Alon Moy joining us now is more of part of CNBC's week-long series, The Lost Workers. Alon. Well, Brian, women were supposed to start coming back into the workforce once the schools reopened. But instead, the data from September shows things actually got worse. Now, the number of working women dropped by 26,000 last month, the first decline so far this year. More than 300,000 left the labor force altogether, and that was driven by the age group most likely to have school-aged children. Now, this dynamic is fueling a debate in Washington about how to address what, as you mentioned, the vice president has deemed a national emergency. Democrats are proposing sweeping new programs aimed at shoring up the care economy in hopes of encouraging women to get back into the workforce. They want to cap child care costs at 7% of income, institute universal pre-K and a national paid family leave program, and expand the child tax credit through 2025. We've also seen a lot of empirical research showing that if we were to increase our labor force attachment, especially of women and caregivers, this would have a significant effect on U.S. economic growth because you'd have those talented workers staying at work, um, staying in the labor force and contributing to our economy in that really fulsome way. Now, of course, Republicans are criticizing this as cradle to grave socialism, but even some moderate Democrats are now pushing back on the cost of these programs. The White House, though, is betting that women are the key to growing the labor force and ultimately growing the economy. Back to you, Brian. You know, Alon, you're not just a reporter on this. You're a working mom yourself. You know, you got a, a number of young kids. And so, you, you, you know, you're on TV at, you know, 540 in the morning. You get it. Uh, what are the chances of any of these policies becoming reality? O'Brien, well, it is likely that if Democrats do anything, these are the policies that they are going to take on. There is consensus amongst the Democratic caucus, moderates and progressives, that child care uh, investments are among the top priorities for that social spending package that we keep talking about. The debate really is over yeah. how long they should last. Should these be uh, long-term programs or should they be something that only lasts for a few years in order to bring down that cost? You know, I was at General Mills in Minneapolis a number of years ago. I don't know if they still do it, Alon. They had an in-house daycare, and it was amazing. Families would bring their kids in. They could go down to check on them and hang with them for a couple of minutes all through the day. And I thought, this is not hard. Why don't more big companies do this? Brian, I've got an in-house daycare (laughs) right now. Now they're all working from home. Sometimes a little separation is kind of good. You're not working from home, Alon. You're sleeping at the office. There's a difference. <laughs> right. We can so solve this. I know we can. Alon Moy on a very serious topic. Alon, thank you. Have a great day. All right, on deck. We are bringing it back. The wall of inflation. And what has changed? We rolled it out in April. Here's a hint. It's not getting better. And a big programming note. This is very cool. On Monday... 
We're going to be at the Milken Conference in Los Angeles. And at noon Eastern, something awesome, something we have never done before. And if it doesn't go well, we may never do it again. A special one-hour CNBC Pro live stream with four big guests, including Guggenheim, Scott Minard, Bridgewater's Rebecca Patterson, Jace Aubie, the Texas Retirement System, and Sri Kumar as well. We're going to get their global macro views on all parts of this market and economy, actionable ideas, all live, unscripted, off the cuff. I'm nervous. Check it out. It's at noon Eastern on Monday. You can sign up today at cnbc.com slash pro. Noon Eastern. We're back right after this. Well, today's RBI stays on the inflation story because while you may have heard about the official government inflation numbers coming in maybe a little less bad than feared last month, let's get real. Because in the actual real world, almost nothing is coming down in price. How do we know? Because we follow it closely. And if you remember, all the way back on April 28th, we brought you what we called the ingeniously named wall of inflation and all the things that were up in price from the previous year. So we thought, let's revisit it, see how things have changed and maybe add a couple of new important things like, you know, oil, natural gas, and even cotton. And our guess is you might use some of those things. So here we go with the wall again and what has changed since April 28th. All right, let's list all the things that have gone up in price. Here we go. Well, housing, it's gone up. Rents have gone up. New prices of cars have gone up. Used car prices have gone up. Oil, it's up 30%. Natural gas has doubled since then. By the way, to charter a ship is up 115%. Shipping containers up 45%. This is all since April. Steel is up 25%. Coffee up 40%. And cotton prices up 17%. All of that in less than six months. Now, Thankfully, not everything has gone up. Some of the things on our wall have stayed fairly flat. Copper, semiconductors, and wheat, they're kind of all flat. And, of course, that depends on if you can even buy a semiconductor right now. And then there are a couple of things that have gone down in price. I guess this will be the good news part of this show. Here we go. Some of the things that have gone down in price, well, corn, lumber. Lumber's down 46%, although it's kind of surged again lately. Corn is down 22%. So there you go. Our wall of inflation going back to April 28th on that giant wall. Almost everything has gone up in price since April. So if we had the wall of inflation back then, we'll call it the the wall of really super duper serious inflation. Because remember also, natural gas and oil affect pretty much everything in your life. The Wex wall of inflation. Don't blame us. We hope it's random, but interesting. All right, let's continue this inflation conversation now and maybe its impact on the market with Aaron Gibbs, CIO and president at Gibbs Wealth Management. Uh, Aaron, not only does inflation cause us to pay more for pretty much everything, it may influence the Fed to raise rates sooner or the bond market, by the way, to do it for them if we don't have to wait for the Fed. What does that mean for stocks? Tie them together. Uh, so a couple things. Um, obviously, financials are taking a um, a harder hit, which is unusual this time, uh, since normally you know yield curves and inflation generally is seen as good for banks. But in this case, um, because it's so far out um, and it's hitting the economy so quickly, that's hurting them. But I think the biggest impact right now what we're really seeing is that it's uh, hurting those small caps and mid caps the hardest. Um, 
And they've been really stuck in this trading range since we saw this inflation, since your April worries. Um, small caps and mid caps have basically been trading completely flat. Uh, and so th this in, in further inflation and further signs, all these new numbers coming out, means they're probably going to be stuck in another trading range for quite a few months. Um, and we may not see them re uh, recover into their uh, uptrend and break out of that trading range well until 2022, until uh, we see these worries uh, go away. Because obviously, when you're a smaller company, higher interest rates, higher capital costs, those affect you a lot more than when you can more easily process it when you're a larger company or you have a little more inflation protection. Um, so, so these are the companies that are most vulnerable. Um, and we're going yeah. to probably see underperformance um, for quite a few months ahead. When we say higher rates, too, I mean, let's be clear, we're talking like 2%, which, by the way, would have been lower rates a couple of years ago, Aaron. But, but, but higher rates eat valuations. That's part of the problem. It's harder to own a company at 24 times forward earning with rates on the rise. I mean, that's the whole point. Exactly. And that's what it's really about. We talk about, you know, we justify these super high valuations for these stocks. Uh, particularly uh, for, for these smaller cap stocks as, as well as the large caps. And all of that needs to come down. Um, so we've seen the S&P 500, its valuation come down uh, since April, since the spring, and it's been in a fairly steady downtrend. Um, but if inflation and interest rates continue to increase, and it's been a pretty steady increase, um, it's going to need to come back to what we saw at pre-pandemic levels, which is more about 17 to 18 uh, forward earnings versus the 20-ish the mm -hmm. times earnings that we have now. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to see a 15% decline in the market. It could just mean that, again, we might just see a bit more sideways action until the earnings start catching up. The yeah. E in the PE starts growing and therefore lowering the valuation. Before we let you go, you're always great for ideas. Then give us a name, a stock we can own in this environment. Yes. So what can you buy when uh, things are so expensive? So one stock I like is Salesforce. Uh, it it uh, really has uh, exceptional growth over the next three to five years. It's really turned into one of these quality companies, exceptionally high margins. It doesn't have to worry uh, about high borrowing costs, plenty of cash on hand. Um, and, you know, their inflation is really all about higher wages. So it's something that they can more easily process over the next few years. Uh, so that's my pick of the day. CRM, we are watching it very closely, even in maybe the inflationary environment that we're in. Aaron Gibbs, Gibbs Wealth Management. Aaron, a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you same time, same bat channel tomorrow morning. Have an awesome day. Squawk Box the Gang picking it up next with Dow Futures up more than 200. Grab a cup of coffee. Could be a good one today. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.